0: Welcome to the second episode of Good, Bad and Pretty, podcast where we discuss topics like gentle self-improvement, intuitive eating, self-love, minimalism and much more. School is getting closer and closer, right? Are you preparing for back to school? Are you doing like back to school shopping or something? Are you excited for going back to school or... Are you dreading going there again, not wanting to start the school year all over again? For me, I am very excited because I'm starting a new program at my school, so my curriculum is going to be much different. In fact, I finished Polish curriculum and now I'm gonna study a different curriculum that is much more exciting to me and I chose subjects that interest me and that I am passionate about. I am going to be extending biology, Polish literature and English which is compulsory to be extended so I am very excited for that and I'm going to have like the best school year I've ever had. I just know it because my mindset is just so good going into this school year and I'm preparing so much. In the last podcast, I mentioned that I'm going to fix my sleep schedule and my caffeine addiction. So that has been going well. For example, I... I wrote basically a note in my notes app on my phone. I wrote all the days for this week and hours in which I should sleep and wake up. And so far the hours when I should go to bed haven't been working for me because I can't fall asleep so quickly and so early. So I've been doing sleep meditations sleep guided meditations which are very I I love them I love doing sleep meditations and I love doing just guided meditations in general my favorite favorite youtube channel with guided meditations is the honest guys I think their meditations are the best and I've been listening to them since I was like 14 so i have some comfort meditations on their on their channel that i have been doing ever since they have some meditations like the haven of peace and every meditation has a different plot and i just love it so that's what i've been doing and i have been waiting waking up Like 30 minutes earlier every day this week. So that has been a challenge. For example, today I woke up at 7.30 and tomorrow I also have to wake up at 7.30. Then I have to wake up at 7.00 and and then at 6.30. And then there's the beginning of school year day on which I have to wake up probably just at 6.30 again. I have also been quitting coffee. I only allow myself to have coffee like have coffee one day, then one day without coffee, and then I can have coffee again. so I make sure that there's a one day period in which I don't drink coffee, and I don't know whether I'm gonna extend that to two days or something because I don't know, but I'm probably gonna to just get used to not drinking coffee even more. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Preparing for back to school and I'm very excited to go back. I know a lot of people are not excited to go back and that's okay too. I just have a different approach this school year and I have new plans for myself and I feel like a new person recently. Like literally I feel like I'm a different person recently. I don't think I am the same person I was at the beginning of summer. I'm definitely a different person than I was two months ago. I changed so much, even like through going to the gym, like it changes my mentality so much, like I'm gaining so much discipline going there. Like three times a week this summer. I also have been doing Pilates this summer, yoga, stretching. Like, I am not the same person mentally that I was two months ago. I'm so different. I'm so much more stronger mentally and also physically, probably too. So I'm just so excited to go back to school. So let's get into the books I read this summer. So this summer I read like three and a half books and I think I prefer quality over quantity when reading books plus I did not feel like reading so much this summer because I used to read like five books a month in summer like two years ago but now I just don't feel like it now I prefer reading less but really really absorbing the book and really just experience experiencing it so the first book I read was Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami and I started reading this book actually in May (laughs) and then I didn't actually read a lot because I had school so I finished this book at the end of June and this is the longest book in English I ever read. I bought it in Berlin when I was on a school trip in May and it's much different from the other Murakami books that I read, it has some similarities, for example language and the personality of the main character however it's still ve- very different it's much more weird than other plots it's like it's as if he was writing this book after like i don't know some <laughs> some weird substance like some weird mushrooms or something i mean i'm kidding but it seems as though it was it it seems as though it was written by someone who was hallucinating, honestly. I mean the plot is so weird that like fish fall from the sky, cats talk and like there is this man who's building a big flute out of cats souls, so that's very weird and like when you are reading this book you're just like "Mm, okay okay that's that's weird so yeah the plot is twisted and very very bizarre and it gets even more bizarre as you read the book so it's like at the beginning it's quite normal quite simple but then it gets just really, really bizarre, and like there are some soldiers it's m s okay, like oh also this book mentions about second World War two, so it's kind of interesting to i mean it's it's not a historical plot, okay, but there is that aspect about World War two and it starts in a very mysterious and interesting way and to be honest, after reading this book, I still don't know what's going on in the plot, honestly I mean, I still don't understand it and I should probably watch a review or something but I don't really wanna, cause I kind of like the mystery that this book holds for me and I like that I can't grasp the meaning of the plot completely that like i have to think how to interpret this plot because as i said it's a very bizarre plot and it's not a direct plot that is easy to understand and there's probably a lot of symbolism and if i was you know interpreting this book at school i would probably have like issues to actually figure out what this book is about this, besides the plot, because, yeah, as I said, it's really weird. So, as in other Murakami books, the language is really simple, and I hardly encountered any words that I didn't understand, because, as I said, I read this book in English, not in Polish, so... There could have been some words that I didn't understand, but they were so rare and not relevant that it was shocking to me. And I was like, wow, am I this good at English? But then I realized that actually, like, probably this... Like, the language is really simple. Even when I'm reading it in Polish, I can see how simple the language is. It's very simple and... I think a lot of Japanese novels are like this, like, Japanese novelists kind of have this style of writing. If you read some Japanese novels you know what I mean, just the language is really plain and very satisfying to read and I absolutely love it because it has a calming effect on me. So I would definitely recommend this book to someone who is looking for a book like no other book because i think this book is one of its kind and it's very very unique i don't think you can encounter a book like that anywhere else i haven't seen anything like this before and murakami definitely did a good job at doing it and also in his other books he was putting a lot of emphasis on women and on women's appearance and in this book I don't remember him doing it, doing it as much, there weren't like any weird description of women I think. I haven't... I don't remember anything like that. I mean there must have been something because he always starts talking about a woman like starting with her appearance in like a very sexualized way in this book I haven't really encountered it so that was kind of a relief there are a lot of scenes definitely because it's a Murakami book and he does a lot of that in his book books like there are a lot of lot of scenes very very descriptive But anyways, I kind of elaborated. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it to someone looking for something new. Another book is Atomic Habits by James Clear, of course. If you are into self-development, you probably know this book. You probably have heard about this book or at least know the main concept from this book if you didn't read it. So, what does it mean, Atomic Habits? So, basically, small changes create big results. This book is a life-changing approach to habits. If you are interested in habit formation, then this book is definitely for you. And I would say that it, this book is for everyone. Like, everyone can benefit from this book in some way, because everyone, everyone's life revolves around habits. Like Our lives are mostly just repetitions of sequences of things we do every day. So everyone can benefit just so much from this book because it goes into detail on how habits work and how to form new habits, how to get rid of bad habits, how to have good habits. The first thing that i really liked about this book is the focus on systems instead of goals because i am not really a fan of goals because i mean of course i have goals and everyone has goals hopefully but if you achieve a goal you feel empty after you achieve it and when you have systems then You just keep progressing. That's what I mentioned in my last podcast, but I really stand by it that it's better to have good systems, for example, a study routine that will get you where you want to be instead of just having a goal and working towards that goal, because when you achieve it, as I said, you don't have any motivation for further work. So another thing that really stuck with me after reading this book is the plateau of hidden potential. So this is what has been really true for me recently because I can see the potential that I hold as a content creator, as a podcaster and YouTuber and I haven't yet developed and revealed my entire potential because I just started, but I think I can come a long way and that's what plateau of hidden potential mean. It means... let's let's use the metaphor he used in his book when there is an ice cube it will look the same when it's minus, minus two degrees Celsius and minus 1 degree celsius so you can be like oh no this ice cube is not really melting but when it hits 0 degrees celsius then the ice cube starts melting so sometimes you don't see all the all the progress that has been made but Another metaphor for this is when you put something in the oven, for example, cookies, then for like first five minutes nothing happens to the cookies and you can be like but I, like, why aren't these cookies like already done but then another ten minutes go and you notice that the cookies in like three minutes they, they really cook. So yeah, that's what it means that... You can just not see results right away, but if you keep going, you are gonna see them. Another thing is emphasis on small steps in this book, because we often take this approach when we are when we want to change our lifestyle to the better. That we change everything immediately. We st- st- wake up one day and be like, okay, from today I'm gonna eat healthy, exercise, read books, journal, and I don't know, just things like that. And you do this for like a week and you're like, no, I can't do this anymore. It's too exhausting. I'm going back to my old habits. You see, that does not work. But when you take small steps, for example, you implement one habit, like... You start eating for example one healthy meal a day then it's a much more realistic approach and it guarantees much more long-term results than just changing everything abruptly so that's a way to go so yeah this book generally just discusses the impact of habits on our lives and that if we repeat something enough times we can become experts at it and this book book shows the exact ways in which you can remove bad habits and adapt good habits for example one thing that really contributes to implementing good habits is you know projecting your environment in a way that is good for your habit so being more specific this book says that if you want to implement a good habit the habit has to be obvious attractive easy and satisfying so if you want to get rid of a bad habit the habit has to be not obvious, not attractive, difficult and dissatisfying. So that's in a nutshell but he really goes into detail on how you can make those changes. For example thanks to this book I stopped eating at my desk because it discusses that you should do just one thing at one place. For example if you have a desk you should only work or study at that desk and not eat too and, you know, not to do other things. So that's what I implemented. And for example, I also started just wearing my workout clothes as soon as I wake up. From the beginning of the day it tells me that I'm going to the gym and I don't have to wonder whether I'm going to go to the gym or not. Because I already have my clothes on, so it means I'm gonna do some exercise. So that's... these are the habits that I changed. For example, I also started using Duolingo every day. So yeah, Atomic Habits is a must read in the world of self-development and improvement. Another book that I read was The Subtle Art of Not Caring and there's a curse word instead, but I don't really want to use it in my podcast because, I don't know, it's kind of awkward for me to say curse words like in a normal way. It's it's just kind of awkward for me and I prefer to avoid it. So I'm gonna say The Subtle Art of Not Caring by Mark Manson. You might have thought that this book is about, you know, not caring about anything and just being numb to just things that happen to you but no it's not about that this book talks about values a lot and that values are the basically core of our behavior and of what we do in life so yeah all chapters revolve around values somehow so the first thing that I took from this book is that problem solving generates happiness and problems never go away. So the key is in choosing the right problems by choosing better values. You cannot avoid problems, but you can have better problems. So. What I mean by choosing problems, because you can be like, no, I can't choose my problems, because, like, I have this problem, and, like, I can't... Yeah, I get it. Uh, It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that the values that you have, to a certain extent, determine the problems that you have. So, for example, if your value is pleasure and you prioritize pleasure in your life, then your problem is gonna be, for example, like, oh, I was watching TV all weekend and now I haven't gotten any schoolwork done. So that's the problem that is generated from the value pleasure, but if you value discipline instead for example then your problem would be i don't understand this subject i don't know how to grasp these concepts so you see how problem can change just by the value being different and as you can see the problems haven't gone away just by changing the value but the problems changed so yeah problems never go away and I used to want to just remove problems for my life and not experience any problems whatsoever but I quickly realized that life is not about that and there are always gonna be problems so the real happiness comes from solving those problems and it's like proven that problem solving makes humans happy. So also our problems shouldn't be too unsurmountable to the point that we cannot solve those problems and the problems cannot be too easy. So I like to use a metaphor with math exercises so when i'm doing a math exercise and it's so difficult that i have no idea where to start or how to even start solving it then like this problem i just can't solve it i don't know what are the tools to solve it i don't know anything and when the problem the math problem would be too easy for example a primary school level it would be just boring for me and it would not provide any satisfaction anyways so the key is having problems that are proportional to your abilities to solve them and that is what makes human the most happy when they have problems that they can solve for example i have this podcast right now right and it was kind of tricky, you know, putting it on Spotify and Apple Podcast and then YouTube, like, you know, file extensions and everything. It's kind of tricky. I held I had to learn some stuff to do it. And it's a problem that is surmountable because I can watch a tutorial on YouTube and try to solve the the problem or, or for example, a wrong file extension, but If the problem would be too difficult, for example, I would have to, I don't know, create my own website to put this podcast out, then it would be too unsurmountable for me and it wouldn't provide happiness. But solving these small problems like wrong file extensions or some difficulties, it actually makes me happier in the long run. Because in the moment of course I'm frustrated and I wanna cry because it's not being smooth and perfect. But yeah, real happiness comes from solving problems. Another thing that I took from this book is to take responsibility for everything that has ever happened to you. And you can be like but wait, wait, like I, I I I'm I'm not responsible for everything that has happened to me. Let me explain. You are not at fault for everything that has ever happened to you because to some people there are some terrible things that happened that those people didn't deserve by any means and they have no fault. But what you do with the thing that happened to you is your own responsibility. For example, if you have trauma, it's your responsibility to go to therapy and to work on it and to continue your life so yeah just you are always responsible for how you react and what you do about what happens to you you choose how you interpret the event for example i used to have some mental health issues and it was my responsibility to start recovering from those issues, because if I would just believe that, oh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't choose it, I didn't choose, like, for it to happen to me, I didn't choose, you know, my eating disorder, like, of course, I didn't choose those things, I didn't want those things, but it was my responsibility To think to myself that this is my life and I can do something about it. And it was my responsibility to ask for therapy. It was my responsibility to ask for help. My responsibility to handle the voice in my head. It was all my responsibility. It is all my responsibility. So yeah, you are responsible for how you interpret your problems and what happened to you. What happens to you? Another interesting thing that I took from the subtle art of not caring is that commitment counterintuitively gives you freedom because when we think of freedom, it's actually when you know we are not attached to anything. That's what comes to mind first, right? For example, when you can travel the world and never settle anywhere and just, you know, sleep in multiple like places and never buy an apartment or something. Commitment actually is the thing that makes you free. Because by not choosing to commit to something, you can never experience the things that you are capable of experiencing if you actually commit so for example when you are not in a relationship but you just have a, these short encounters with multiple people for example yeah you date like multiple people you go on one date then you go on another date you're like no there's someone better waiting out there so you You just keep dating people again and you never settle quite. What you are doing is you will never experience the same things that you would be able to experience if you were in a relationship. If you committed to one person, then you would have experiences that are available only for the people who are in relationships. I don't really remember like the whole, like, concept anymore, but what I remember is that, yeah, you would never be able to experience certain things if you never committed. And like, not committing actually takes you nowhere and is pointless. Another thing from this book that really resonated with me is that People are often entitled and therefore they think they are special when in reality a million other people experience the same problem as them too. And that does not mean that your problems aren't valid. It only means that those problems don't make you special. Because people have the tendency to think that they are special if they experience a certain problem But they don't realize that, you know, there are many people with the same problem. So yeah, you are not special for the fact that you have some problem. Mark said in this book that there are two types of people. One who thinks that is special because they are so miserable. And one who thinks that is special because they are so great. So... Those are two types of people like narcissists and then those who think that their their problems are special. Basically, the moral of this book is that you choose what to care about by choosing your values and your values have a really, really big impact on your life and your values just determine what you care about. Life is good when you care about good things and when you don't care about the things that you don't want to care about. For example, thanks to this book, I started caring about my appearance a little bit less because I want to focus on the things that actually matter to me. And it brings us to Beauty Seek by Dr. René Engeln and I know a very smooth transition because this book is actually about it. Switching your focus from appearance to the things that actually matter to you. But not only. This book just really discusses how we are obsessed with beauty as a society. And I am still reading this book, I'm in like two thirds, but I still wanted to talk about it because I have learned a lot from this book already. So this book forever changed my approach to beauty. I will never look at beauty the same. It discusses body image in a cultural sense on a much deeper level than other books do and is backed by a lot of statistics and studies and in each chapter There is a story of a woman whose story relates somehow to the chapter and I think it's really great because it's just a very nice contribution to that topic being discussed in the chapter and I love those stories because I think Renée, she really wanted to grasp this problem from different perspectives you know people who are obsessed with their appearance people who don't care about their appearance people from different cultures people from Asia people from Africa people from America she just wanted to include people with different roots so that this book is more holistic and doesn't only focus on the western ideal of beauty. I mean it all revolves around the western ideal of beauty but she talks with women from different cultures to... I mean those women live in the US but you know they have different roots. So one thing that I found really interesting about this book is monitoring appearance constantly so this book says that we are carrying carrying like an internal mirror wherever we go and i agree to it because how often do you just walk on the street and wonder how you look for other people i mean hopefully you don't do that but there is a chance that you do And before reading this book, I used to be very obsessed with how others perceive me and I would always need a good outfit even for walking my dog or going to the grocery store and I always made sure I look, you know, very polished and there's nothing wrong about liking to look polished but the problem was that I was just so obsessed with it and I was just constantly worried about how I look and now when I'm recovering from a eating disorder I don't have the same problems with appearance that I used to have but yeah I would I was just really obsessed with how others perceive me and I was just really worried about how others perceive me so yeah this book definitely encourages us to stop carrying this internal mirror for example like I'm gonna discuss ED recovery here for a second I used to body check like constantly and like it wasn't like you know a very conscious practice it was rather like automatic I would just pass by a mirror and I would have to make sure that I look okay that like I look you know the same way I looked a couple minutes ago yeah I was just really obsessed with it and I would need to like you know see whether I look the same way I looked like 10 minutes ago and now I'm really working on stopping the body checking and just you know my body is not going to change after just like one day plus even if it does change it's natural and you know our bodies especially as women change during the month so i'm just really trying to stop body checking because i have to trust my body and that if i eat you know accordingly to my intuition my body's intuition then everything's gonna be the way it's supposed to be so yeah this book really encourages us to shift focus from beauty to what you have inside you like your intellect, your ambitions, the things you do because when we are so obsessed with beauty we actually don't have that much brain space to think of different things and I really experienced it like in the worst moments of my eating disorder I couldn't think of anything else than my appearance and what I'm gonna eat and what I ate and how I look and you know all of that I couldn't at at one point I couldn't even read like I would. I was just so obsessed, and I, I had pretty much no brain space for anything else left. So yeah, this book just shows how much brain space obsession with beauty takes. Another interesting aspect that this book talks about is objectification and self-objectification of women and girls. And I found it really interesting because I wasn't really... I didn't really realize how much objectification we as teenagers do. For example, like, even, like, posting photos on social media. Like, if you post them in a certain way, then it can definitely be self-objectification. Like, from now on, I'm always gonna make sure that There's, you know, no hidden self-objectification in my actions. Because, of course, we are not not at fault that we do it. We just want to, you know, feel loved and appreciated. But I'm gonna make sure that I don't objectify myself. Because, yeah, I just don't want to do it. And... As much as I can, I'm gonna make sure that I don't. Another thing is that this book shows how much money and time the obsession with beauty takes out of us, and this is like really obvious. Like if you go to you know do your brows and eyelashes and everything, then of course it's you know it's a lot of money but we just sometimes forget how much money we spend on it and of course we are not to blame here the culture and like you know the whole marketing and everything is to blame here but i mean also not really like this book doesn't just blame media and advertisements it's it's not like that this book is really really worthy and it discusses those topics very deeply it just shows how much money and time we lose focusing on beauty so for example i decided that i'm probably not gonna do makeup for school even though i planned to do it because i would just rather meditate or read in the morning or just i don't know relax i mean also like doing makeup can be relaxing but For me, it's very stressful when I have to do makeup before going somewhere because I stress that I'm gonna mess the makeup up and I put a lot of pressure on myself to make the makeup perfect and I just am very stressed before going somewhere when I'm doing makeup. So that's just my perspective. I know for many girls, doing makeup by and getting curly is actually a really relaxing experience and I totally get it. Yeah, I also like to do makeup sometimes and it's definitely a hobby for me because I'm interested in Korean makeup and I just like to take inspiration from that so yeah definitely it can be a hobby for some people but for some girls it's just a tour, and you know something that they do they don't do because they want to but because they feel like they have to do it and when a boy tells me that yeah but you don't have to do makeup and all of that like you choose to do it and it's so ignorant in a culture in a culture that is so obsessed with beauty it's really 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 ignorant for a boy to say something like that and I heard it from someone and I don't I don't blame him for saying that, but yeah, it's like it was also mentioned in this book that it's just very ignorant if a man tells you that you have a choice because the pressure that girls feel to be pretty and to do makeup is just very high for some of them, and Just telling them that they don't have to do it is like it shouldn't happen. It it should not happen because it's not as simple as it may seem. And also knowing how to consume media is not enough because feminism is not a magic shield from comparing yourself to the idealized and edited woman that you see in newspapers and on billboards and on social media. Like, being a feminist is not a magic fix to all of that. Throughout my ED recovery, feminism has definitely helped me to overcome some things because I don't know, it's just a rational way to, for me, it's just a rational way to, for me to understand some things and to make my irrational voice understand it. But, you know, it's not, it's not a magic fix and it's not that simple. This book shows that women who critically look at those idealized versions of you know the ideal of beauty they are even more worried with their appearance because by engaging with those images we increase our focus on those aspects it makes things even worse the fix to that that was presented in the book is just as I said shifting the focus from such images whatsoever but as I said I'm still reading this book so I don't think my opinion is gonna change a lot on this book yeah it's a very very worthy book and I recommend it to everyone because it just discusses yeah, the obsession with beauty that we have as a society. And it goes into detail. It's, psycho- it's a psychological book. Because it was written by a doctor, as I mentioned in the beginning. So it goes really, really into detail about it. And yeah, there are a lot of stats and everything. And as someone who is interested in psychology, I really like the way this book is written and i recommend it to absolutely everyone so on that note that's all i had for today i hope you enjoyed listening about those books while doing something like chores or walking or whatever you were doing whatever you were doing while listening to this podcast i hope it was a nice background, and that you took from something from it, that you learned something new, or you just relaxed, at least, while listening to it, so yeah, I hope you liked today's episode, and you can follow me on Instagram, I will add the link below in the description, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode, and Honestly, I don't know on which day I will post the episodes because, you know, this school year hasn't started yet. So I don't know how my schedule will work and like my class schedule is very twisted. So I don't know yet when I will have the opportunity to record and... Edit the episodes, but the episodes will be still, you know. (laughs) I just don't know, I just don't know which day of the week I will choose. But I will probably post these like once a week or once every two weeks. As I said, I'm not sure yet, but I will notify you on my Instagram for sure because that's where I communicate with you, that's where I'm active. I don't have like TikTok or other social media. So, oh, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's just my name. So I will also add the link in the description. And yeah, once again, thank you for listening. And I will hear you in the next one in the school year. Bye.